Over the last few weeks, as the weather has got a little bit colder, we've been staying inside a little bit more. My family and I have been on a bit of a puzzle kick. We've been solving puzzle after puzzle, Star Wars, we've done Hogwarts, we've done the national parks, and I've really enjoyed it. And each of us have our own techniques for how we solve the puzzle. For me, I like to grab a piece, and then I look at the tiny little details on it, and I grab the picture of the, the whole puzzle, put it together, and I kind of examine, I try to figure out where in the picture it would go, and then I put it down in that position. Now, last weekend, I did that process again and again and again for about 90 minutes. I was so focused on all these tiny little details, so much so that I didn't realize what was actually happening was the whole puzzle was coming together in the background. And after 90 minutes, I had this moment where I kind of looked up and I looked at it all and I gasped because I hadn't realized how much of it had come together. Sometimes I think we live life a bit like that. We can become so focused on the puzzling pieces that present themselves to us that we lose sight of the bigger picture. Perhaps that's where you are right now, engrossed in a, in a puzzling piece in your life. Maybe you've got an issue at work, or you're facing money problems, or you've had an argument with your spouse, or your child isn't talking to you, or you've got health concerns. These puzzling pieces that present themselves to us, they're important parts of our lives, but sometimes they can consume so much of our attention as we try to figure out where it goes and how to deal with it that we can miss the big picture. Just like I missed the big picture when I was so focused on those individual puzzle pieces. And often when we do step back and we look at the big picture of our lives, those puzzling pieces become a lot less significant as we see the reality of the beautiful picture that God is painting. And this morning, we're going to meet a man and a woman who did just that. Well, good morning and welcome to Chapel Hill. My name's Ellis. I am one of the pastors here. Thank you for joining us, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. Today is the first Sunday of a season that we call Advent. Advent means coming, and it's a season where we anticipate the coming of Jesus, which we celebrate on Christmas Day. And over the next four Sundays, we're going to go back to the beginning of Luke's gospel. That's the account of Jesus's life that we've been studying. And we're going to walk through the passages that anticipate the coming of Jesus on that very first Christmas. Now, we've been journeying through Luke's gospel since September, but I don't know if you remember, we started in chapter 3, and we heard from the man who was called to prepare the way for Jesus, John the Baptist. Well, this morning... We're going to go back to chapter one, and we're going to hear his origin story, so to speak. So I'd love you to have the, the text in front of you. You have Bibles in your pews. You can grab those. It's on page 855. We're in Luke chapter one, beginning in verse five. And the reason I, I think it'd be great to have them in front of you is we're just going to move through the text a few verses at a time, and you're going to want to look back and forth. It will be on the screens as well. So if you want to follow along on the screens, you can. But we're in Luke one. Page, five, uh, page 855 in your Bibles, we're starting with verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child 
because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Zechariah and Elizabeth, this man and this woman, this man and wife that we meet, they're about as good as you could get when it came to the Jewish faith. They were born into the right family and they lived righteous lives. Zechariah was a priest. To be a priest at that time, you had to be born into a priestly family. And that was true for Zechariah, but it was also true for Elizabeth. She wasn't a priest. Only men could be priests at that time. But she was a direct descendant of the original high priest, Aaron. So they're born in the right family. And then the the text tells us that they lived righteous lives. That means that they obeyed the the, the laws and the commandments of God. They, They sought to put God first before all other things. And yet, despite those two things, being born in the right family and having lived faithfully, they were still without children, and now they were old. Now, in the first century, this didn't make any sense to people. Kids They were seen as the blessing of God on those who lived righteous lives. And here we have two righteous people. You couldn't get much more righteous than these two people, and yet God has not blessed them with a child, and now they're old. That didn't make sense to people back then. And honestly, I think it doesn't make sense to a lot of us today. I know couples who've struggled with infertility, and they've They've prayed and they've prayed and they've prayed and they've sought to to live according to to God's standards. They've sought to serve as a part of the church community. They've sought to seek God's kingdom first above all else. And yet, still, for whatever reason, they don't have children. Some of them are now old. Doesn't make sense. People are left asking the question, why? And I think that's the question Zechariah and Elizabeth were asking. Why? Why is there this puzzling piece in our lives. Where does it fit? But that puzzling piece didn't seem to affect their desire or their ability to live faithfully, to serve the Lord, as we see when we keep reading verse 8. Now, while he, that's Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, in early first century Jerusalem, there was a big temple complex. It looked a little something like this. Right in the middle of that complex was the temple itself. That's the big building you can see in the middle there. Now, regular people weren't allowed into the temple Only the priests were allowed into the temple itself because the temple was where God's presence dwelt. And as such, only those who were ritually clean could approach God's presence. God is holy. Humans are not. We are sinful. And humans need to cleanse ourselves to enter God's presence. Now, that was back then. Today, We are cleansed in and through the sacrificial death of Jesus. We can have access to the presence of God through his sacrifice. In fact, the New Testament says we are the temple of God. God's spirit lives in us. God's presence is with us in our lives because of the work of Jesus. But back then, this is before Jesus came and God's presence dwelt in the temple. And only priests who ritually cleansed themselves of their their guilt and their sin could enter into the temple and approach God's presence. And every 
morning and every evening, a priest would enter into the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense. You can see it right here. It's this big yellow arrow pointing at it. And on this particular day that we're reading about, Zechariah was chosen to go and burn incense on that altar. Now, this was a big deal for him, right? This, this was like his Super Bowl Sunday. It was literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him to get closer to God than he had ever been in his life before and he was ever going to get in the future. See, the priests, they were split into these divisions of about a thousand priests in each division. And those divisions would only serve two weeks every year. And in those two weeks, each day they would draw names out of a hat, so to speak, for who was going to get to go into the temple itself and burn incense. And on that day, Zechariah's name was chosen. So it's extremely unlikely that his name is going to get picked to go in. But not only that, once you'd gone in once, you were not allowed to go back in again. It was literally a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And today, Zechariah was chosen. And in the middle of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, something surprises Zechariah. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. A couple of months ago, I was at a denominational pastor's retreat with the other pastors from our church. And late one night, we were going back to our cabins when I saw a golf cart parked beside the darkened trail. I looked around, there wasn't anyone else around, and I thought, hey, let's have some fun. So I jumped onto the golf cart to try and start it and take it for a little joyride. I'm a terrible pastor, I know. But when I sat down and I I put my hand to, to, to turn the ignition, all of a sudden I felt something moving underneath me. So I jumped back up and I looked down and there on the seat where I had sat down was a cat fast asleep. Now, Zechariah, I think, was equally surprised when he went into the temple and there appeared an angel of the Lord right beside the altar where he was going to go and burn his incense. But the angel had good news for him. His prayer had been heard. Him and his wife were going to have a son, and not just any old son. They were going to have a son who was going to prepare the way for the Savior of the world, a son who was going to play a major role in God's salvation story, turning people back to God and preparing the way for the long-awaited Messiah, the King of Kings. Now, I want you to put yourself in Zechariah's shoes for a second. How would you respond in this moment? Think about it. You've been chosen for your once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, your moment to get closer to God than you've ever got in your life before. 
If God is going to send a messenger to you to appear to you and give you a message, he's probably going to do it today when you're as close to him as you're ever going to be. And in that moment, as you're there, you're Zechariah right now, you're there, an angel appears and says, hey, good news, you're going to have a son, your prayer has been heard. How would you respond in that moment? Closer to God than you've ever been before, your once-in-a-lifetime moment, name drawn out of a hat, a messenger appears. Would you believe it or would you doubt it? Let's see how Zechariah responds, verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. How does Zechariah respond? Well, according to the angel whose name we discover is Gabriel, we're going to hear again from Gabriel next week, Zechariah did not believe the the message was true. Now, why was that? Like I said, if God's ever going to appear to you, ever going to send a message to you, it's probably going to be in the temple when you're as close to him as you're ever going to get on that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And yet, Zechariah doesn't believe it. He thinks to himself, how can Elizabeth have a baby? My wife's old. Husbands, not a great phrase to be using in your head. Just a little tip. So why doesn't he believe it? Well, I think it's because Zechariah, on that particular day, wasn't actually praying for a child. I think, and I'm going to show you why in a second, I think he was praying for something much, much bigger, much, much greater, much more magnificent, And he couldn't believe that God would answer that big, big prayer. Now, why do I think this? Well, as I studied the passage, I was particularly drawn to the opening words of Gabriel to Zechariah. Verse 13, he begins by saying, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. You see, whenever I've read this story before, I've kind of assumed that the prayer to which the angel's referring to here is Zechariah's prayer for a child. I mean, the the angel even goes on to say, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. But what struck me as I studied this text was two things about these particular words. First, the angel says your prayer, singular, not your prayers, plural. Now, every couple I know who've struggled with infertility, they haven't just prayed once to God for a child. They prayed again and again and again and again and again. And I got to imagine that Zechariah did exactly the same thing. It was not a prayer for a child, but it was prayers and prayers and prayers and prayers. So you would expect if the angel was referring to Zechariah's prayers for a child, the angel would say, your prayers have been heard, not your prayer. But what we find is the singular, your prayer. The second thing that jumped out to me from these words was the tense of the verb, has been heard. Now, this verb is in what's called the aorist tense, and every single one of you knows what that means, so I don't have to explain it. Of course. The aorist tense refers, in this instance, to the fact that the prayer has been heard on this particular occasion once, 
not has been heard over the course of many, many, many years as you've been praying for a child for years and years and years, but no, your prayer that you prayed today has been heard today. That's what your prayer has been heard means. And so that got me thinking, what was the prayer that was heard by God on that day? Was it a prayer for a child? Well, maybe, but I think more likely it was actually the prayer that Zechariah had been waiting his whole life to pray. So he'd been waiting his whole life for this opportunity to get into the temple itself, to get into that, that holy place where God himself dwelt. And on that day, he finally gets that opportunity. And I think almost certainly on that day, Zechariah, a man righteous in the Lord, a priest serving the Lord, I, I don't think on that day he was putting before God his own personal prayer requests. I believe that on that day, Zechariah was doing his priestly duty. You see, the priest who went in to burn incense, that incense symbolized the prayers of the people. It says at the beginning of our passage, the multitude of people were outside praying. This priest is coming before the Lord to represent the prayers of all the people. And in that moment, I don't think Zechariah is praying for a child. I think he's praying that God would save all the people. I think he's praying that God would remove the oppression of the Romans from his people. He's praying that God would send a word from the Lord. We haven't heard you in 400 years, Lord. We need a word from you today. I think he was praying, God, send your Messiah. Come, thou long-expected one. On that day, I don't think Zechariah was focused on himself, on the puzzling piece of his life. I think Zechariah was focused on the bigger picture. And he was praying for the salvation of all God's people. And God heard his prayer. The angel said to him, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. He's going to be great before the Lord. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit like the great men and women from of old. He's going to turn the people of Israel back to God. He will walk in the power and the spirit of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will make ready the people for the Lord. Your prayer for the people has been heard, and your son is the answer to that prayer. Do you see that? See that this moment is about so much more than, than one man and one woman overcoming infertility? Yes, that's awesome. That's worthy of celebration. But this is something so much bigger. This is about the fulfillment of God's promises and purposes to his people. This is about respond, God responding to the hopes and fears and dreams of so many ordinary people in a story much larger than just Zechariah. This is about a God who acts on such a large scale to bring about the salvation of many, many people. This is the moment when God announces that he is about to break into human history with his son, Jesus and God is going to show us through Jesus what he's really like. He's going to show us what it really looks like to live the human life. And then he's going to stretch his arms out upon that cross and say, I will die for you. I will give that life for you. And then three days later, he's going to rise again to new life and say, I will give you new life in me. This is the moment the rescue begins. And in that very moment when the rescue begins, 
I love this. God takes care of the needs of two of his children, Zechariah and Elizabeth. He's working on this big, big, big story, but in that very moment, he says, and, and, I am going to give you a son. You know, what this story is telling us is that God is painting a much bigger picture than any of us can even comprehend. He's got much greater plans at work than we might imagine, a much more glorious future than we could possibly believe. And that's what this season of Advent and Christmas is all about, reminding us that God's rescue story is bigger than just each one of us. This season is about calling our attention towards the bigger picture. And yet, in the midst of that bigger story, God takes care of the concerns of individual people who love him. Whatever you might be facing, health problems, marriage problems, parenting problems, work problems, money problems, you name it, whatever puzzling piece you might have in your life, know that God is at work on the bigger picture, and in the midst of that bigger picture, God cares for you and the puzzling thing that you are facing. And I think there's a challenge in here for each one of us. Zechariah certainly challenges me, and I want to present that challenge to you today. And the challenge is this. Focus on the bigger picture. Everyone say that with me. Focus on the bigger picture. When we are faced with circumstances and situations that are challenging and puzzling, zoom out and focus on the bigger picture, just like Zechariah did. Now, I know that that isn't necessarily easy. You might say to me, Ellis, you don't know what I am going through, and I may not, but we both know what Zechariah was going through. This was his big day, Super Bowl Sunday, and I would imagine that there was a lot of pain in Zechariah's heart on that day as he walked up the steps to the temple, and he thought, if only I had a son a son who was standing out there with the other thousand-odd priests in my division who was watching me on this day. If only I had a boy who could see me enter into God's presence. And alongside that pain, I'm sure there was great shame as people looked at him and said, yeah, is he really righteous? I mean, he doesn't even have a son. The shame the pain. I'm sure on that day Zechariah was living in that, and yet, as he was in the temple, he did what God had called him to do. He focused on the bigger picture. He prayed for all the people, not for his own needs, his own wants, but for the needs of all the people. And in that moment, miraculously, God answered both the bigger picture prayer and his own needs. God not only restored the hope of all, but the hope of Zechariah himself. And so I would encourage each one of us to try and do the same. Focus on the bigger picture. Because we need to be reminded that God is at work in the big picture, and we need to trust him to work out our own puzzling pieces. Now, how might you practically do this? What would it look like? Well, 
Zechariah's focus on the bigger picture changed how he prayed. And I wonder if we're going to focus on the bigger picture, whether we might need to change how we pray too. Now, often I think when we pray, we can just default to praying for things that we need. It's like a laundry list of concerns. God, I need money. God, I need wisdom. God, I need help in this relationship. Maybe we kind of take another step and we say, God, this other person needs something. God, this other person needs that. And that's great, but there's more to prayer than even that. More to prayer than simply asking God for things. And one of the best ways I've found in prayer to focus on the bigger picture is to use the Lord's Prayer as a model for my own prayers. Now, most of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, we pray every week in our services. We prayed it earlier on in the service. And of course, you can pray it like we do in our services right through from beginning to end. But I much prefer to pray this prayer one line at a time and then stop, pause, and personalize that line. Put it into my own words. Pray it back to the Lord. A little bit something like this. The first line is, our Father who is in heaven. And I'll pray something like, God, I thank you that you're my Father and you've adopted me into your family. I am your Son. And that you are in heaven above. You're you're above all things, above all the concerns of this world. Line two says, hallowed be your name. So I say, your name is great. Your name is worthy of praise. Your name is above all other names. All the names of this earth is above my name. It's above anyone else's name. Line three, your kingdom come. Start to pray, Lord, would you rule and reign in this nation? Would you rule and reign in this city? Change the hearts and lives of people, especially my neighbors and my friends who don't yet know you. And so on and so on and so on for each line of the Lord's prayer. And when I pray like this, I find that my attention is lifted from the puzzling pieces in my life, and my focus is turned to the bigger picture. Whereupon I can see the Lord at work in a much bigger way, and I can draw encouragement from that to face the challenges that I might be going through. So to aid you in in trying this out, I know this might be a new thing for a lot of people, There's a download in this week's guide of a a PDF that that walks you through this and will help you go through the Lord's Prayer line by line. I want to encourage you, would you try it in this season of Advent? Would you try this out? I, I actually love to do this when I'm walking. I find that walking and praying helps focus my attention. Other people tell me driving, driving's my place, but wherever, you you can do it anywhere, anytime. But would you try it? In fact, we're gonna try it right now as we close our service together. We're going to practice this principle of focusing on the bigger picture as we go through the Lord's Prayer line by line. I'm going to pray a line, and then I'll I'll leave some space for you to, in the silence of your own heart, to, to put it in your own words, to pray back to God whatever it is that He is placing on your heart as a response to that prayer. And let's focus on the bigger picture and trust God to be at work in the puzzling pieces of our life. Would you pray with me? Our Father who is in heaven, let's take a moment to thank the Lord for your adoption into his family and that he is above all in heaven.
hallowed be your name. Just begin to praise, worship the Lord, set apart his name. Maybe you know some of the names scripture uses for God. Great I am, good shepherd. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Just begin to praise his name. Set it apart. kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Begin to ask that God would have his way on earth, his rule and reign would come on earth in this nation, this city, the lives of those around you and in your own life. Give us this day our daily bread. Just begin to put before the Lord the things that you are asking of him, where you want him to provide in your life. Give us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Maybe there's some things you need to confess to the Lord right now, receive his forgiveness for. Maybe there's people who you need to forgive. Let's bring that before the Lord in this moment. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Ask the Lord to guide your steps, to be your shield, to be your defense, to turn back the attacks of the enemy, keep you from sin. is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Finish with worship and praise. Just begin to praise God in your heart. Declare everything is to him and for him because of him. Lord, we do praise you and worship you. That you are the God who is sovereign over all. You are above all. 
and yet you were at work in the details of our lives. And so today we choose to focus on the bigger picture, to remember the coming of your son Jesus, anticipate the coming of your son Jesus, to seek him, to put him first, to trust and believe that you're working all things together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And we entrust to you the puzzling pieces, the details of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all who agreed said, Amen. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. That moans in Until the Son of God appear, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.